Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We talked the last couple of Sundays about the Christian walk, and we will, I can promise you, uh, from where we left off last week after we get through this little section that deals with the Christian ministry, we will get back to the Christian walk. And I tell you, I, I mean, I, I know as well as you do, and I understand quite well, this, this lesson's entitled The Christian Ministry, The Christian Ministry Part 1. I know as well as you do that I have a responsibility as a child of God, one purchased by Christ's very obedience unto death, his bloody sacrifice at Calvary. I have a responsibility and an obligation out of grace and gratitude to him for his mercy toward me, a sinner, to seek to strive in every area of my life to honor him in my dealings with him as my God and my Savior and my Redeemer, with my brothers and sisters in Christ as those who share this like precious faith, this good hope through grace, who all, every one of us equally, without exception, possess Christ in us, the holy hope, hope of glory. Each of us having in our hearts the, 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 the Spirit of God uh, that indwells us. That we have a responsibility to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to love one another, to care for one another, to nourish one another, to pray for one another, to think about one another. Matter of fact, we're instructed in the Word of God. We're not to think on our own things, but as far as our thoughts of who we are related to, who are we to think of first? Huh? Think not on, let every man think not on his own things, but think on what? Think on the things of others. And we have a responsibility to the world. You think about it. I, we're going to talk about it this morning in the worship hour I, God has left us here for one specific purpose. You do realize that, right? We're not here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I have achieved, I'm about to achieve another milestone in my life. I'm going to turn 66 years of age in less than a month. Cammie, you, you're trying to catch me. Cammie turned 60 today. <laughs> when I started here, I was in my 20s, and that's still just hard for me to imagine. I was... I was 28 years of age, 27 when I sat in your house the first time back in 1985. But, you know, a lot of things have changed. And I, and I, I have met a lot of brethren, and I'm thankful for it. I've, I've got, had the privilege and the honor of serving as your pastor for all the years that the Lord's allowed me to, to do so. I've got to watch my sons grow up and marry, one of them, <laughs> I've got a wonderful daughter-in-law and a, a grandbaby that I love with all my heart. But and, and I've been blessed. I mean, Pam's retired now. We're we just sit there at the house and look at each other like, what do we do now? <laughs> Other than when she's cleaning. I mean, I just I didn't know there. I didn't realize how filthy of a person I was until my wife retired and started staying home. I'm a dirty, dirty man when it comes to the way a house looks, as far as she's concerned. I was fine with it, you know. That's a horse of a different color. But that's not what it's about. I mean, I realize more and more with each passing day of my life, do you, we realize, I hope you realize how limited our time is here. And I know I'm not, I don't think, and I don't have this mentality, I don't think, that the whole world's on fire and I'm the only one that's got a bucket that can put it out. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I do know that our Lord has told us that he has a people, does he not? 
And he has determined and he has purposed to reach his people through the declaration of the gospel. And he has clearly and concisely told his people that make up this church body, not just Grace Baptist in Ruston, but the church universal. And that doesn't mean every church of every denomination. I'm talking about every part of this body of grace that rests in Christ, his blood, his righteousness, his accomplished work, the fact that he saved his people from their sin. Our responsibility, our obligation is what? Preach the word. That's what we're here for. It's not about friendships and relationships and putting money in a bank and working toward retirement, though we do get to enjoy all those things. That's not our purpose. This is not our home. This is not the end game. Our goal, our design, our desire is that our Lord will... Those other, I always, this verse always rattles around in my mind. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. That's what this is about. We come here on Sunday mornings for me to preach and teach not only myself, but you and prepare you to do the work of the ministry. We're going to see that in these verses we get into this morning. That's our work. That's our life's work. That is, that is number one, it should be, in our lives. Because we know this much, that some point in time, there is some person out here in this life that is, they might be on this planet now, they might not be on this planet now. But at some point in time, the last of God's elect is going to hear his voice, that, or the last of the other sheep. They're going to hear the voice, and what's going to happen? This thing's done. I don't know about you, but the, the older I get and the worse things get in this life, the more I see the joy that's going to be in leaving this wretched place. Yeah, it's, it's awful. It really is. And if you hadn't deduced that yet, trust me, you, you'll get there. You live with it long enough, listen to people long enough, see the things that men and women can come up with long enough, live in a society that is godless is what our society is. We're religious, but godless. They do not know the true and living God. My friends, your friends, my family, your family, my enemies, your enemies. Religious, moral, sincere, dedicated, know nothing of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing. Still trying to get there. But we have a responsibility to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Because that's what God's told us he's going to use to call his people out. People say, well, I want sinners saved. Well, I tell you, if you want sinners saved, you can't save them. I can't save them. But I tell you what we can do, we can deliver the message of grace to them. Trust in our God to take these what, what comes out of these weak vessels' mouths that just are kind of a reflection. They can only reflect or through a glass dimly, can he? Show forth the glory of his person. But even, even, even the, the, the most minute, weakest effort of a child of God who sincerely seeks to set forth Christ in his person and his work, our God can take that weakness and use it to call out his sheep. That truly the fields are white under harvest. Now they are. And I know he will 
He will bring in his sheep. He will gather his fish, will he not, into his great net. But the net must be cast. And he doesn't cast it mystically and mysteriously. How does he cast it? With us. As he sends us forward. Now he had used the first seven verses of this chapter, Paul had, to encourage and to exhort us, justified saints, those redeemed by the blood and righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had encouraged and exhorted us in our responsibility to those who are our brethren. To walk in unity. You hear that? To walk in unity. To walk in peace one with another. Why? Why are we to be at peace one with another? Why are, we to be in, why are we to be united front? Has it got anything to do with personalities? Physical relations, earthly relationships? Earthly bloodlines or kinship? No, what's it got to do with we're one in Christ Jesus? <laughs> All of us equally saved, equally qualified, equally fit, Equally entitled, all of God's elect, from the weakest newborn babe in Christ to the most full-grown, mature child of God, if there can ever be any of them. I hadn't found one yet. Any of those that have grown in grace and knowledge of the truth, what are they? They all are made the righteousness of God in Him. And God views them and sees them where? In Christ His Son. Huh? So, with that, knowledge that we let everybody in this group everybody out there that believes this gospel rested in Christ called on him as the Lord my righteousness what are they they're heirs of God and listen to this word now joint heirs joint heirs with Christ Jesus our Lord in other words what I ain't got a leg up on you and you ain't got a leg up on me and we certainly don't have a leg up on our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are heirs with him, joint heirs with him. What does that mean? Everything that he purchased, whose is it? It's not only his, but whose else? Didn't he say that over, in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, all things are yours? Doesn't mean, doesn't mean wealth, health, and prosperity. Everything's spiritual. See, we've got to get our eyes off of down here. I, I think that's the thing I'm working in my life is trying to turn loose everything down here because the kingdom of God's not flesh and blood, but it's, it's righteousness and joy and peace where? In the Holy Spirit. And I can't get that from any feeling that I can work up in this old wretched heart that I have. Now, notice what he says here in verse 8. He starts off and he says, Wherefore, verse 8, Ephesians chapter 4, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto me. And I tell you, let me, let me say this to begin with, because I have heard some men with good intentions brutally destroy the meaning of this verse, especially this statement, leading captivity captive. They seem to be of the opinion that somehow or another, everybody before Christ came was kind of putting some kind of big holding tank somewhere. And they were hanging out. It's kind of like a, it was a Calvinistic purgatory, I guess, or a Reformed purgatory. 
because they weren't really justified because they couldn't be justified until Christ justified them, or actually if they come to faith in Christ. You know, they, and so they say they, 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 they weren't fit or qualified to go into heaven. That's not what this is talking about. It's not talking about that the Old Testament saints were waiting for Christ to come do something so they could go to be in glory. Because you got to keep these things in context. Where is he quoting from here? Because this is a quote from the Old Testament. This is a quote from Psalm 68, verse 18, 19. Listen to this. Thou hast to, it's a messy and sit Psalm 68, like Psalm 21, 21, 22, 23, Psalm 40, Psalm 68, Psalm 62. 119th Psalm, and we could go on and on and on. What are they? They're Messianic Psalms. David speaking in the spirit of prophecy, not speaking of himself, but speaking of who? His Christ, our Christ. In Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, the rebellious also, that the Lord may dwell among them. Then our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was in that, in that lead up to the high priestly prayer in John 17, when he talked about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, he said, it's expedient that I go away. If I don't go away, who can't come? The Spirit can't come. But he said, if I go away, when I did not if I go away, when I go away, he, the Spirit of truth, will come, whom the world cannot receive, but you know him, and he's been with you, and he shall be where? He dwells in us. Okay? Bless be the Lord who loadeth us. This is it. Who loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. You know what these words are speaking about? He led captivity captive. These words are speaking. You know what, what, they're, what they're a prophecy of? You want to see the fulfillment of it? Go read Acts chapter 1. Look over there. Look over to Acts chapter 1. I'll show you where this took place. See, and again, people say, well, when Christ died, he led captivity captive. No, 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 because keep it in context. This, this is referring to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, not his death. This is when he ascended to glory. And here in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now these are the guys that had been with our Lord Jesus Christ for three and a half years, who had been told that he had come to save his people from their sins who had been told by our Lord Jesus Christ that it was absolutely essential that he go to Jerusalem and suffer and bleed and die and rise again, right? They had been told by our Lord Jesus Christ that unless he fell into the grain, remember, except a corn of wheat, grain, a grain of corn fall into the ground, what does it do? It abides alone. But if it falls into the ground, what happens? It grows up and bears fruit. And he said, that's what's got to happen. I've got to be planted. I've got to die. You know, so much so that Peter, when he heard it, what did he say? Far be it from me, Lord, this is ever going to happen to you. I'm not, I won't let it happen. 
most foolish words ever stated by a man on this planet. Huh? Aren't you grateful men couldn't stop this? Couldn't prevent it? This was God's work. But they're still, what are they, what are they thinking about? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, what? Are we going back to like the times of David where Israel was feared, and struck fear? And, and the thing is, here's the thing that, that these idiots didn't realize or understand. Israel never struck fear in anybody. Huh? Go back and look at Israel striking fear in somebody. Remember when Joshua and them first w went into the promised land? And they got full of themselves. And God had told them, how are you going to go up? How you, I'm, it's my battle. In Israel, after the first, after the walls of Jericho fell, what did they say? Oh, this is easy. <laughs> we'll just walk in here and these people will tremble at us and walk out our way. They didn't go after God's ordered way. And they went up. How many of them died? And they come back, what they, I can't believe that God failed us. No, God told you how he is going to do it. And you disobeyed his revealed will by way of command, took it upon yourself that you had some strength and power and authority of which you and you and me, we have none. We can't overcome anything. Not the, what if, if any of them can be considered, not even the least sin you can't overcome. And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father hath put in his power, his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the ends of the earth, uttermost, unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld him, he was beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is when he led captivity captive, right? Here. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, can you envision what that was like? <laughs> to see the Lord of glory leave this place. And so they're standing there gazing. They beheld two men stood by them in white apparel, which said unto the, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up in heaven? Yeah, you know, this is a general reproof. What are they supposed to be? God's witnesses in this world. And they're standing there in awe looking up. Kind of like when the men were up on the mountain, Jane, Peter, James, and John were up on the Mount Transfiguration. Remember, Peter said it's good for us that we should build huts and stay up here. And we'd be content to do that. I mean, I, we, I think we'd be content to stay around each other, you know, God is our brothers and sisters in Christ, but that's not what we're called to do. He says, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so, so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. You can go ahead and read the rest of the story, but that, that's what this is a reference to. Here's a little translation. Notice how he starts this quote. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive. Here's a literal translation. Having gone up on high, he led captive captivity 
and gave gifts to man. Now you consider the apostles' words in this life. Satan, <clears throat> by God's purpose and plan, because of the fall of man, held the human race, even Satan, I mean even God's elect, in captivity, and he held us, and he holds over our heads until the Lord regenerates and converts us. What does he hold over our head? The curse of the law. The curse of the law. And the reason he can hold the curse of the law over our head is because what are we? We're under the curse. Account of our sin. And when Adam sinned willfully and willingly, he took sides with Satan against God. And the whole human race, think about it, immediately when Adam fell in that garden, the entirety of humanity, every man, woman, and child that would ever be born of a woman come into this world were at enmity against God, spiritually kin to Satan, and held captive by Satan at his will. And here's the thing. In this great transaction... God did not in Christ offer Satan anything. This was not a transaction to settle up with Satan. That's the way they used to present it to us. God's done his part. Satan's done your part. And now his part, now what have you got to do? You got to settle this. That's not, this was not God satisfying Satan. It wasn't. His satisfaction, what he accomplished, was to law and justice towards who? Not towards Satan. Toward God. On whose behalf? On behalf of his elect. And in doing it on the behalf of his elect, he removed Satan's right and authority to keep us in his control and that same obedience unto death by the Lord Jesus Christ enabled God to remain just and deliver each and every one of his children in each successive generation according to truth. But if I can't... Remember they said our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in that section where our Lord dealt with blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And they had accused him of doing work by the spirit of the devil. And Christ hits them with this statement. He says, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, and he did, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Okay? Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first do what? Bind the strong man. Who's the strong man here? Satan. What did our Lord Jesus Christ do? He bound him. How did he bind, bind him? By his accomplished work. By what he did as God-man mediator. And then when he's bound him, what can he do? Then he spoils, that, spoils the strong man's house. Listen to this. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me, gathers not what? Seeks to gather his children. 
gather his elect, call out his sheep, scatters abroad. So think about it this way. Christ released his people from captivity to Satan and brought Satan into captivity and that, you know what? He no longer has any claims on his children. Not any. Here's the thing. Satan can no longer bring you as a justified son or daughter of the living God back under condemnation ever. I love this verse. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans chapter 8 verse 2. And here's the thing. Hold your place there in Ephesians. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Let me give you some some insight into this captivity captive thing. Because Paul makes it clear. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 13, Colossians 2, verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision in your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Think about that verse. How many of your trespasses is he forgiven? How many? All. Having forgiven. Not, not waiting for us to ask for forgiveness. He's having forgiven your trespasses. How did he do it? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So everything that the law, everything that the curse demanded of me as a child of God, what did our Lord Jesus Christ do? He nailed it to the cross meaning he put it to death. It has no power, it has no authority. Look at verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers. Not spoiling principalities and powers. You see that? Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This statement in our text, turn back over to Ephesians chapter 4, leading captivity captive. And this that Paul wrote to those at Colossus, talking about triumphing over them differently, you know, completely. Both of these passages, it's an illusion that those people at that time understood something of. That, you know, that he made triumph over, triumph for triumphed over his spoil, the principalities and powers openly and made a show of it. Those Jews and even these Gentiles, read they knew what happened back when Rome or any other, you know, any other great nation conquered somebody else. You know what they did? If they conquered a nation, they went into that nation and got the leaders of that nation. And literally, if you go back and you search the history, they would put the leaders on the wheels of the chariot of the king, attach them to it, and he would ride triumphantly in front of those that he had conquered with their leader attached to his chariot showing what? Who's in, th who's in control now? Who's got the power? See? Now, I can't overcome Satan. You can't either. But I know one who has overcome him. 
triumphed, boy, it's hard to say triumphed, triumphed over him completely. I like what John, John Gill wrote on this. He said, the whole is an allusion to the victories and spoils and triumphs of the Roman emperors, who when they had obtained a victory, a triumph was decreed for them by the Senate, in which the emperor was drawn in an open chariot, and his captives being stripped of their armor, and their hands tied behind them, were led before him and exposed to public view and disgrace, while he was shouted and huzzaed, hurried, I think that's hurried, what it, is. it was a misprint in, the, in what I caught, hurried through the city of Rome and had all the marks and honors of respect given to who? To the, vic- to, the, to the victor go the spoils. That's, that's one of the sayings that we got from that. I tell you, this is the thing. If the Lord Jesus Christ sets you free, what are you? Free indeed. I think about that song, Free from the Law, O Happy Condition. Jesus hath bled, and there is remission. Now, the fruit and effect of this, Christ accomplished death, his resurrection, his ascension is this. What does he do? He gives gifts. You see this? He gives gifts, gave gifts, not gifts, gifts, gave gifts unto man. Now, if you'll notice, look at, look at the way he wrote this. The Lord Jesus Christ, after he had accomplished his work, and when he ascended, as we read a moment ago in Acts chapter 1, before his apostles, it didn't say that Christ offered gifts to man. What did he do? He gave gifts to man. And that word gave, gave, it means to bestow a gift. Now, I tell you, if somebody asks you for a gift, that's kind of offensive, isn't it? Because if they're asking you to give them something, it's not really a gift. A gift is bestowed. Somebody, you're, you're, it's not that you deserve it or you've merited it. What? It's just freely given. It's a gift. And here's the thing. The ascended Lord Jesus Christ gives us the gift. The, the primary gift he gave us was what? The gift of salvation. But what else did he give us? You know what? He gave us every gift that we need as we make up this mystical body of his while in this present evil world. The Lord Jesus Christ, he, he sovereignly dispenses the gift of the Holy Spirit, especially at this time, and I, I think this is important we understand it, especially at the time of the beginning of the church, he gave us unique gift that was one of the gifts I know no longer exists. The gift of apostleship. They existed for a... They were, they, were the, they were God's gift to the church. What, what you, he, he calls them the pillars, does he not, of his church? But he gave his Holy Spirit to his people, to his church, and Paul sets forth that he gave them in, in a special and unique way in verse 11 and 12. We'll get to, might not get there today, we will get there next Sunday, that qualified the men of the church for the work of the ministry and make them useful for God's glory and for the good of the church. Now notice what he says next, verse 9 and 10. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first 
into the lower parts of the earth. He that descendeth in the same also that ascended up far above all things that he might feel all things. You know what we have here? Every, everything was about proving who Christ was. And these words here, it's just another proof of the two distinct natures of this one person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. His condescension, the fact that, that this person who was equal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, that's a verse that rattles around in my mind, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Philippians chapter 2, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For this reason the Father hath highly exalted him. Why? Because he became obedient unto death. But you think about him coming down speaks of his deity. Nobody made him come down here. He did the Father's will, but he came here because he determined to come here. And think about it like this. His descending into the lower parts of the earth, what does that speak of? It speaks of his humanity. Because I tell you what, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he cried, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, you know what he did? As a man, he did something God could never do. He died. Huh? God absolutely considered cannot die. But this man who was and is God, what did he do? His humanity died. He died a real death. He gave up the ghost. Huh? He went through that portal, every one of us. See, that's just the thing. He, he's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Everything that we go through in this life, he's felt, can he? And endured it all. There's nothing foreign to this person that, that you and I can ever say, well, he doesn't understand what I'm going through. He went through everything to the infinite degree. Do you realize that? Everything that God demanded of me as a sinner, Christ felt all of it and endured the penalty of it all in his person on the tree. And his ascending into heaven speaks of what? It speaks the fact that he went up. And how did he go up? Who's in heaven now? Who's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high? Huh? Not a little God. Not a lesser God. Who's there? God man. Emmanuel. Huh? I, we, we've been finishing up John in our, on our Wednesday night Bible study. And I didn't say nothing, but I thought about it. You know, when, when he showed himself to the apostles the first time he appeared in their midst on the first day of the week, and first thing he did when he appeared in their midst is what did he do? He showed them his hand, pointed to his side. Right? And they saw the star scars, real scars. Saw where the sword had pierced his side. And they went and told Thomas, the Lord's alive. And I'll, it doesn't record it for us, but I bet you they told him, we saw the nail prints. We saw the sword where, the, where they pierced our, his side with the sword. We saw the thorn prints on his head. And what did old Thomas do? 
He said, except I see it. Right? I won't believe it. And so seven days later, on the first day of the week, our Lord Jesus Christ appears in their midst again, and what does he do? Here's my hand. You hold my side. Stick your fingers in my hand. Stick your fingers in my side. And be not faithless, but be what? Believe him. Thomas never touched him. <laughs> what did he say? My Lord and my God. Right? That person that sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, he still bears those scars. They didn't go, they didn't, it wasn't like he went to some plastic surgeon and got them removed. That's the testimony of us that nothing's ever coming back on us because where did it all fall? And here's the thing. He ascended far above the heavens into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God Almighty. And I'll say this, and we'll quit this morning. The goal of both Christ's condescension and his ascension was singular. That he might fill all things. You see that? His goal was not only that he might fulfill all the types and prophecies and pictures that were set forth in the Old Testament, which he did, right? Down to the most minute detail. I mean, you think about it. He's hanging there on the cross. That the scriptures might be fulfilled, what did he say? I thirst. Why? Because everything had to be fulfilled. Remember what he said? I didn't come to set aside. Came to fulfill. Not one jot or one tittle should pass from any of it to what? All of it's fulfilled. But he also, that he might continually fulfill the duties of his office as our prophet, our priest, and our king in actually making us full partakers of everything he purchased for us. See, his, the fact that he sits there ensures that every, everything that he has is going to be bestowed on us without exception. What do we get? All the grace that God's given us, all the fullness of the person of Christ, whose is it? It's given to us freely. All of it. And not only that, but glory hereafter. The fact that he sits there means, because he told us in Ephesians chapter 2, that where is he at? Where are we seated at? I'm standing in Ruston, Louisiana, in Grace Baptist Church, but where am I at as far as God's will and purpose is concerned? I'm seated with him. The fact that I'm seated with him ensures that one day what's going to happen to this old V-I-L-E body? It's going to be translated, made like in his glorious body. And it's also that we, he might fulfill all the means necessary for the growth and maturity of the church. And he's going to show us what those means are next week when he gets into this thing. These gifts that he gave, it's not money in a plate. <laughs> it's not uh, those colored windows that are in all these fancy churches some way. The gifts, you know what the gifts are? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teacher. That's the gifts he gave. And he gave them for a specific purpose. To prepare you and me to do the work of the ministry. And we'll come back next week and we'll pick up in verse 11. You're dismissed to worship. I appreciate your presence this morning.